1 Samuel chapter 9, verse number 25 is where we're going to begin to read. 1 Samuel 9, 25, the Bible says, And when they were come down from the high place into the city, Samuel communed with Saul upon the top of the house. And they arose early, and it came to pass about the spring of the day, that Samuel called Saul to the top of the house, saying, Up, that I may send thee away. And Saul arose, and they went out, both of them, he and Samuel, abroad. And as they were going down to the end of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Bid the servant pass on before us, and he passed on. But stand thou still a while, that I may show thee the word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather and to sing praises to you and to look into your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words you'd have me to say this morning. You'd help the folks that are here to listen and apply what they hear to their lives. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. It says, a man who knows not and knows not that he knows not is a fool. Shun him. A man who knows not and knows that he knows not is simple. Teach him. A man who knows and knows not that he knows is asleep. Wake him. And then finally, a man who knows and knows that he knows is a wise man. Follow him. And uh, I think that's a pretty good uh, quote there for our teachers. Uh, hopefully our teachers are the, the ones who know that they know and they should be followed. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of uh, young people that come into your classroom who uh, they don't know and they know they don't know. Those are the ones that you're trying to reach and teach. Now, here in our passage, we find Israel, uh, God's chosen people, in the midst of a transitionary period. Uh, they've been in the promised land for about 350 years, give or take, a couple of years. And um, during that whole time, God has used judges and prophets uh, to lead his people. Uh, one of the personalities in our passage is a man by the name of Samuel, and many would consider him to be the last of the judges, definitely not one of the last of the prophets. There would be many prophets that would come after him, but he's one of the last judges that is active there in uh, Israel and leading and guiding the people. And Samuel's a godly man. Uh, he, he's a, a man that we would do well to emulate or uh, to look up to. He's one of the favorite Bible characters that we're introduced to in the Old Testament. I mean, how many of you in Sunday school heard the story of God calling to Samuel as he slept and saying, Samuel, Samuel, you know, and he, he runs to Eli and uh, Eli says, go back to bed. I mean, that's a, that's a good story that we tell our kids about. Uh, it's very uh, meaningful to them. But see, he didn't stay a kid. Samuel grew up and he got married and he had children. And now as we come to him in, in chapter number nine, Samuel's getting a little bit older. And uh, unfortunately, his sons have turned out to be corrupt and evil in their misuse of power. They've lost the respect of the people. And this has led to kind of a heightened 
dissatisfaction with the government there in Israel at that time. Now, I know that's something that none of us would have any idea about, dissatisfaction with, our, with the government, but that is where they found themselves. And so uh, they began to look around, the people of Israel did, at the other nations. And uh, of course, the grass is always greener on the other side. Of course, my dad always said that if the grass is greener on the other side, it's probably because the grass is over the septic tank, and that's why it's greener. Um, but they were looking around and they saw that every other nation had something that they didn't have. What was it? A king. And so all Israel has is Samuel, and they're pretty dissatisfied with this setup. And so the people protest and ask for a king to be placed over them. Now this caused Samuel a lot of personal turmoil. He felt like he personally was being rejected by the people, and God said, look, it's not you, it's, it's me. They're rejecting me as their head, not you. Now, I do believe that God always intended for uh, the people of Israel to have a king in His timing. That's why He laid out the rules for a king in the law that He gave Moses 400 years earlier. And so God informs Samuel that He will choose a king for the people and Samuel is to anoint the man that God chooses. Now, if you were to go back and read the beginning of chapter number 9, uh, we don't have time for that today, but you would find that through a series of events in the preceding verses, God reveals to Samuel that this first king of Israel will be this young man of the tribe of Benjamin named Saul. Now, regardless of what your opinions of Saul might be because of the things that happened later in his life, I want you to try and lay those things aside because at this point in Saul's life, he's just a young, naive, young man. I mean, he's, he's not the, the guy that's uh, chasing down David and visiting witches and all that kind of stuff. He's, he's just a normal, everyday Hebrew boy. Uh, just barely, you know, starting to shave, maybe not shaving, but he just, he's got a little bit of whiskers growing. He's, he's just early on in life. And verse number 25 uh, gives us a glimpse at how Samuel and Saul's time together went, what was going on as they are first introduced to each other. And if you look back at verse number 25, you'll find that they were coming down from the high place back into the city where Samuel was uh, staying at the time. Saul had come to this city, and he had met Samuel while searching for his father's donkeys. Now, the donkeys had gotten out. They'd gotten lost. Samuel and his servant were going all over the countryside looking for these donkeys, and it led them to this city. Uh, Samuel had met the young man. He told him not to worry about the donkeys. They'd been found. But he said, while you're here, why don't you follow me? And uh, Saul went with Samuel. He was included in a sacrificial meal. Uh, and now the two of them are returning together to the home where Samuel was staying. And this is where the, the passage really starts to get interesting. Because at, at the end of verse number 25, the Bible says that uh, when they came down from the high place, that they went up to the top of the house and Samuel communed with Saul. Rather than going straight off to bed, the two men go up to the roof of the house for a conversation. And this conversation, I believe, must have been pretty interesting. Uh, we know, according to some earlier verses, that Samuel already knows that Saul is to be the first king of Israel. They're not communing on the top of the house as kind of like a job interview type thing, where Samuel is sitting down across from Saul and says, tell me, what are your three greatest weaknesses? 
where do you see yourself in five years? You know, it's, it's nothing like that. Uh, it's not a job interview. Uh, if you were to look at verse number 15, uh, earlier in chapter 9, the Bible says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, and thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because their cry is come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. And so it really wasn't up to Samuel to decide whether or not Saul was fit to be king. God had already determined, this is the man I've chosen. And if you remember from earlier, all Samuel's job was, was to anoint Saul as the future king. So that kind of brings up the question, what's going on on the roof? Because Saul doesn't get anointed on the roof that night. He doesn't get anointed until the next morning. And so what is this communing that they are doing? Well, I want you to think about the rooftop scene here for just a second. Flat roofs uh, of the Middle East were frequently used as a place for rest and uh, conversation. Uh, this was not just uh, a place to, to, to make the rain, you know, wash off your house. This was a place where the family could go up. There would be stairs or some kind of ladder to get up onto the top of the roof and, and spend time together and enjoy the, the cool of the evening to look up at the stars. I mean, you just think about it. There's no light pollution to speak of uh, back in, I don't know what this is, you know, 1800 BC or something like that. There's no light pollution. You can just see forever. You can see for miles. You can look up and you see all the stars. They're uh, shining so brightly. Uh, maybe there's a, a nice breeze that's blowing. Maybe they've got some, some, uh, you know, some cool water to drink, you know, and a little torch, a little uh, fire going. And it's just, it's just a pleasant uh, place to, to visit. And, and so there they are uh, visiting with each other on the roof. And during their communion, you got to kind of wonder, what is it that they're talking about uh, for so long? <clears throat> well, Samuel is in a privileged place in their relationship because Samuel knows a little bit about what the future holds for Saul, doesn't he? Saul at this point has no idea that the next day he's going to be anointed the first king of Israel. But Samuel knows that Saul is going to be the first king of Israel. And so Samuel has a vision for Saul's future that Saul himself cannot see yet. And so Samuel is speaking strategically with Saul, not about the specifics of his calling, but with an idea to prepare him for what God has for him in the future. Are you seeing some similarities here with our educators that are with us today? You should. Because when those uh, little lives come in, they're coming in just like, I'm at school and I don't know what day it is. Mom told me to get up and go to school. But they've got a teacher that's there and says, I know a little bit about what this kid is going to face down the road. I mean, I know all the specifics, but they have a vision. A good teacher will have a vision for their students' future, right? Okay, you guys got to help me here. This is where our teachers and our educators, I believe, can begin to relate to the passage. Because they know what it's like to see a student's potential before the student can see it. I know there were uh, teachers and mentors in my life 
who saw things in me before I could see them, they know what it's like to try and prepare a student for what the future holds. And that is precisely what Samuel is trying to do here. Samuel knows that a brand new office is being created. No one has ever held this title before. Saul, this young man, is about to be thrust into a position of leadership with all of its difficulties and responsibilities, and Samuel wants to take this opportunity to prepare Saul for what lies before him. And so I believe that Samuel, as they commune, is teaching and preparing Saul on this rooftop. Now, there are a couple of things that all good teachers are going to try and do, and I believe that Samuel must have done some of the following. One of the things that every teacher should try to do is to call forth an expectation of great things in their students. Call forth an expectation of great things in their students. One of the things that we know about Saul is that he had a horrible insecurity problem. It's why him and David could not get along. Saul was terribly insecure. In fact, if you were to study all of chapter 9, you would find that Saul already has the seeds of that insecurity planted in his heart. Because when he gets uh, told what God's plan is for his life, he says, who? Me? Uh, a nobody? Out of the tribe of Benjamin? The smallest of the tribes? Who am I to be king of Israel? You see, already uh, Saul deals with this issue of insecurity. Now, there is a difference between humility and self-effacement. There's a difference between humility and self-deprecation. We want our leaders to be humble, don't we? Oh, come on, this is an independent Baptist church. You... <laughs> you know, we talk about, hey, I'm proud of you in the good way, you know, because we don't want to be proud. Hey, I'm going to give you a compliment, but don't get a big head. Come on, I'm not the only one that hears these kind of things, am I? We want our leaders to be humble, but we also ought to want our leaders to be secure. An insecure leader is, is unstable. I mean, you read Saul's life, and is there a better picture in the Bible of instability than Saul? I mean, one minute he's, he's prophesying for God, the next minute he's trying to spear David to the wall. I mean, the guy is just waffling back and forth. It's humility and self-deprecation are not the same. And you can be secure and humble at the same time. These are not exclusive. And so probably one of the things that Samuel would have tried to do is to uh, deal with the insecurity in Saul's life and help him to see uh, that God can use him for great things. I mean, that's one of the goals we have for our youth ministry is that our, our teenagers would see the possibilities of what God could do with their lives. We want them to, to see the expectation of great things. Another thing that a good teacher would have done, and I believe Samuel would have done here, is to try and inspire confidence in Saul that Samuel is a trusted teacher. <clears throat> have you, uh, teachers, have you ever had a student try to trip you up? Have you? I mean, I mean you got this first grader that just knows he knows more than you do. I'm just kidding. It's probably a 7th or 8th grader. No offense, 7th and 8th graders. 
But they come into class and they just got this air of, I know more than this person. You know, maybe it was early on in your teaching uh, years. Uh, I taught at our Christian school in Virginia for six years, and there were some times, of course, you know, I got this baby face and, and all of that, but I really was young when I started teaching there. I was like 23 years old. And so they throw me in these, these classes, and these, these kids that are maybe four years younger than me, five years younger than me, it's not that big of a, an age gap, they're like, we're, we're going to get this guy. He doesn't know what he's doing. And we're going to trip him up, and everyone's going to see that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And there were some interesting conversations that took place. But one of the things that you have to have between a student and a teacher is trust. And uh, Samuel, as he prepares Saul for the future, he knows that Saul is going to need counselors that he can trust. Uh, you know, the, the more rich and famous and popular and powerful you get, the more you have friends that aren't really your friends. Saul is about to become the most well-known figure in all of Israel. There's going to be friends coming out of the woodwork. There's going to be people jockeying for a position in the, the new government. And so Samuel wants to try and cut off all of these, these yahoos that are going to show up and say, look, Saul, if you can trust anybody, you can trust me. I'm the prophet of God. I'm going to give you godly counsel if you'll just come to me. Now, we know that Saul would get himself into trouble for going to other counselors besides Samuel. And that if Saul would have followed Samuel, things would have gone a lot better for him in his life. Samuel would offer godly counsel. And we know that trust, true trust, must be earned, right? Trust must be earned. When it's dealing with a student and a teacher or co-workers, or a boss and an employee. I mean, it doesn't matter. In whatever situation of life where two individuals are going to work together and operate together, there has to be trust, and that trust has to be earned. <clears throat> and finally, the last thing that I think Samuel would have tried to do during this communion would have been to direct Saul's heart to its proper goal. Teachers and mentors can only do so much in pointing their pupils in the right direction. Eventually, every student must choose whether to apply the things that they had been taught or not. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I taught in a classroom, but you know, growing up, I did martial arts. I told you guys this. Have I not told you guys this? <laughs> a few times, yeah. Um, you know, we would do belt tests. And there'd be these kids, I mean, they would come, they were only supposed to come two days a week, but you could come as much as you want. And so these kids, their parents were dropping them off every single day, you know, and I wonder why. Um, but man, we would work on that material over and over and over. We're telling them how to do it. We're showing them how to do it. We're taking their hands and doing it for them. I mean, we're doing everything we can think of to try and ingrain this lesson in their, into their minds. And, you know, in practice, they do it just great. But then belt tests would come. And we'd sit up there, and everybody knows that you've been working with Scotty, and uh, Scotty's out there, and he just looks like he's never done a martial arts technique in his entire life. And all the other instructors are looking at you like, didn't you work with him? I'm like, he did it perfect earlier today. doesn't matter how much you teach and go over and practice, eventually every student 
has to apply what they've been taught on their own. Samuel could do everything he could to direct Saul's heart to its proper goal. But ultimately, it would be up to Saul as to how he would use the tools he'd been given as he became king. Now, eventually, the two men retired for the evening. The lesson had been taught. The verbal instruction had been given. And I have to wonder what they each thought about as they drifted to sleep. Perhaps Saul's mind was buzzing with trying to figure out why this national figure would talk so openly with him. I mean, uh, can you imagine meeting somebody like that and they're just like, talking to you just straightforward about all these things. Typically, when you meet someone like that, they're just, they give you some niceties and some pat answers, and then they, they move on. Uh, this last uh, week, I don't think he'd mind me telling you all this, uh, my father-in-law went to get his oil changed uh, there in Stillwater. He has a Hyundai, and Barry Sanders owns the Hyundai dealership in Stillwater. Now, Barry Sanders lives in Detroit, Michigan, but it just so happened that last week he was in Stillwater getting his oil changed, or uh, making a commercial. And so while my father-in-law is there, there's Barry Sanders in the bay filming a commercial, you know. And so he's like, oh, cool. takes a picture of him. He goes and sits in the waiting room. Well, like five minutes later, guess who comes and sits in the waiting room with him? Barry Sanders. And he said the guy was just so chill. And he just talked to him like a normal person. They talked about football. They talked about the, the, the playoffs. He said it was just the most normal conversation. We don't expect that when we meet someone like that, do we? I'm sure Saul didn't expect to hear some of the things that he heard from Samuel that night. And so as he's laying there on the rooftop looking up at the stars, he just keeps running through the conversation that he just had. Perhaps Samuel was down below wondering if he had said the right things to Saul. Man, every single service, I get in my car and I wonder, did I say the right things? I mean, there were other things that I studied that I didn't include in my message. Should I have included them? There were some things I put in my message that maybe they shouldn't have even been there. Should I have taken those things out? If you're a teacher, you know what it's like to wonder, did I do the right thing? My mom used to say all the time when she was homeschooling me and my brothers, I hope I'm doing the right thing. I hope I'm doing a good job. I hope they'll be ready for college. They both graduated, so I guess... We got, you know, what we needed. <laughs> but it's normal for a teacher to second-guess themselves, isn't it? You have a parent-teacher conference with a, a student that's struggling, and you wonder afterwards, did I say the right thing? Did I do enough? I, I, I mean, it's normal. Now, early the next morning, it's time for the men to part. But the lesson is not over. Samuel calls up to Saul, tells him to get up, and they're going to leave. And together they walk to the edge of town where Samuel stops and turns to Saul. He tells him to send the servant on ahead. And then Samuel tells Saul, what our theme is this year, stand still. I would guess that every elementary teacher in this room has said those words to a student at one time or another. And if you're a teacher that hasn't had to say those words to a student at one time or another, I'll let you borrow one of my sons, and I guarantee you before the day is up, you will have to use those words in your classroom. Stand still. Our theme this year is stand still. We've seen how much easier it is to see God work. When we stop trying to solve our problems ourselves and let Him handle it, when we stand still, and watch God. We've seen how God stands still 
as we pass through trials and tests in our lives, He is there among us. He doesn't leave us and go on forward as we deal with our problems. As we saw with the crossing of the Jordan River, God was in the midst of them. But now we see Samuel, the teacher, tell Saul, the student, to stand still. For our teachers here today, it may be a common thing for you to say. But Samuel didn't tell Saul to stand still because Saul was being disruptive. You know, I mean, I said he was young, but he's not that young. Um, he wasn't being disruptive. Samuel tells Saul to stand still for a reason. What is the reason? So that I may show thee the word of God. So that I may show thee the word of God. If you were to go on into chapter 10, you would find Samuel performing all that God had directed him to do. He will anoint Saul as king. He will give him instructions on what he is to do next. Samuel had spent the preceding night trying to prepare Saul as a student. He had invested in Saul as a student. He didn't just demand a position of teacher in Saul's life. He sought to build a relationship towards that end. And so then on the morning, Samuel seeks to teach Saul another lesson by demonstrating obedience to God's directions. Samuel is not the kind of teacher who says, do as I say, not as I do. You know, uh, the saying has, has been that those who can't play, coach <laughs> or teach. That's not the way Samuel operated. Samuel had spent the night before verbally teaching Saul, and then in the next morning, Samuel gives him an actual example, demonstration of what he had just been talking about. Samuel obeyed the word of God. What is Saul going to struggle with throughout his life? Obedience to the words of God. So I want you to go to the Amalekites. I want you to kill every man, woman, child, and animal. Does he do it? No. He didn't obey the word of God. It wasn't the example that was set for him by Samuel. Saul is the student had a responsibility to stand still and learn. Samuel, as the teacher, had a responsibility not only to tell Saul what he should do, but to demonstrate it as well. But Saul had to watch. He had to contemplate. He had to obey the lessons that he received. The night before, in communion, there had been a back and forth. Questions, answers, you know a dialogue. But in the morning, he was supposed to stand still and watch. Sometimes learning requires a dialogue. Sometimes it requires us to stand still and be quiet. Samuel taught Saul a lesson by having him observe while Samuel demonstrated obedience to the Word of God. These few verses are a are a demonstration for us. They're a, a report of something that happened here to give us a glimpse into the education of Saul. And this morning, as we've already covered, we are blessed to have teachers in our church here this morning. And you know, throughout our lives, all of us will play the role of both a student and a teacher. 
And it's not always in sequence. You know, it's not like you pass through the time as a student and you're in the time of a teacher and you never go back. I don't know about you, but I feel like my life has gone like this, student, teacher, student, teacher, student, teacher. Sometimes in the same day, I'm learning and, being, and teaching at the same time. At any moment, we may find ourselves in one role or the other. F.F. Bruce was a famous preacher back in the day, and he would send letters uh, to people, and those letters he would always keep a copy on, on file. One, one letter that was written on August 24th, 1965, begins with this. It says, there are some dates that stick in my memory. Today is 50 years precisely since I first went to school. It was a Tuesday, as well as being to the 24th of August, and I have been there ever since. He went on to say, it is often said that the finest teacher is the person who remains a learner. F.F. Bruce is ready to learn from all sides, never despising a detail of information that I might hitherto have missed. We're always learning. We're always possibly in the position of Saul, needing to be taught. And the moment we think that we've arrived and we don't need to be taught anymore is really the moment that we should stop and stand still. And look to see if there's something we might have missed. But all of us also are expected to teach others. You may have a class. You may not have a class. You may have children in your home. You may not have children in your home. But these short verses give us a glimpse into how we are to act when we are the teacher and when we're the student. We look to Samuel as the teacher. We see pre-investment in his student's life. We see teaching by demonstration. We look at Saul as the student. He's engaged with the teacher and he's standing still to learn. We also find the greatest subject of our learning as Christians. Stand still that I may show thee arithmetic. Stand still that I may show thee how to throw a fastball. Stand still that I may show thee how to read. It's none of those things, is it? Stand still that I may show thee the Word of God. This should be our ultimate desire in life, to know and to help others know the Word of God. The Word of God is how He has revealed Himself to us, isn't it? And you may be a teacher of the Word of God, but we should never stop being students of the Word of God. Find someone who can teach you through dialogue as well as demonstration. And then find someone that you can teach through dialogue and demonstration. I'm grateful for the teachers that I've had in my life. I'm grateful for the opportunity God has given me to be a teacher at times. All the things that we teach and all the things that we learn, let's not forget that the number one priority in our learning and teaching should be telling others about Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the people that are here this morning and for their good attention. Thank you for the teachers that are with us today. 
whatever context they may be teaching in, I pray that you would bless them. Lord, thank you for the example that we have here in your word of Samuel and Saul and the teaching and the learning that took place. Lord, if there's someone here today that has never learned about your gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, then I pray that today they would give us an opportunity to show them from the word of God, their condition as sinners, their need for a savior, the price that Jesus paid so that they could be forgiven of their sins. And God, I pray for your people here today, the Christians that are here in this room. Whether they're a teacher or not, I pray, Lord, that they would never tire of learning from your word, that you would give us a hunger to continue to learn and to read and to study the word that you have given to us, that you preserved for us all these years. God, I pray for our teachers, Lord, that they would not only seek to verbally instruct, but they would seek to live out a demonstration of what it means to be a child of God. Whatever context they teach, Lord, that they would use their influence to point people to you, to use whatever opportunities they have to direct the hearts that look to them to point them to the Savior. God, I pray that you would use each of our teachers to be a light in our community, to be a light to their students. Lord, that you would keep them strong and healthy during these winter months. Lord, that you would just fill their hearts with purpose and an appreciation for the opportunity you've given them. Lord, a dedication to, to use the influence they have to lead young lives to the Savior. Lord, we ask that you would be with us during this time of invitation. There's someone here that needs to make a decision for you. Pray that you'd give them boldness to step out of their seat and come to the front here where we can talk with them about the decision that needs to be made, whether it's salvation or church membership or baptism, whatever it is. God, please let your Holy Spirit be at work during this time. It's in Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen.